And we are live. What's up, guys? Welcome to Feta. Sorry for this late start. Today, guys, we're going to talk about a case that I actually broke down when I was on the job. This is going to be a good one. I actually went to trial on this one, which is ran the federal system. So we got a lot to learn. Let's get into it, baby. I was a special agent with Homeland Security Investigations, okay, guys? HSI. The cases that I did mostly were human smuggling and drug trafficking. No one else has these documents, by the way. Here's what Feta covers. Dr. Lafredo confirmed lacerations due to stepping on glass. Murder investigation. You see him reaching in his jacket. You don't know. And he's positioning. Been on February 13, 2019. You're facing two counts of two Racketeering and Rico conspiracy. Young slime life here and after referred to as YSL. The defendant's uh, 6 9 And then this is Billy Seiko right here. Now, when they first started, guys, 6 9 ran. I'm a fed. I'm watching this music video. You know, I'm bobbing my head like, hey, this shit lit. But at the same time, I'm pausing. Oh, wait, who this? Right? Oh, who's that in the back? Firearms and violent crimes. AKA, Pusha I see violated. You're ordered to stay away from the victim. Rapper Pusha I see arrested after shooting at King of Diamonds, Miami Strip Club, injured one person. This is the one that's going to fuck him up because this gun is not traceable. Well, it happened at the gun range. Here's your boy, 42 Doug, right here on the left. Okay. Sex trafficking and sex crimes. They can effectively link him to paying an underage girl. And the first bomb went off right here. Inspired by Al Qaeda. Two terrorists, brothers, the Zokar Sarnev and Tamer Lynn Sarnev. When the cartel ships drugs into the country. As this guy got arrested for um, espionage, okay, trading secrets with the Russians for monetary compensation. The largest corrupt police bust in New Orleans history. So he was in this bad boy. We're gonna go over his past, the gang ties, so that this all makes sense. All right, and we are back, guys. What's up? Welcome to Fed It Man. Uh, on this channel, we break down criminal cases, man. I hope you guys like that intro. <laughs> no, a lot of you guys are like, yo, that intro's too long, Myron. Well, screw you guys. I need it because it helps me get set up as you guys are watching it. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, you guys know this channel actually takes quite a bit of my time because, um, you know, researching cases, pulling up old documents, um, especially for cases like this that were mine. I'm like trying to remember, oh, man, what was the defendant's name? What was the case number? Blah, blah, blah. Going through the documents again. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Uh, I was really enjoying going through the documents and like remembering, oh, yeah, I remember this when this happened. I remember when this happened. So uh, we got a treat for you guys. Um, so. Uh, real quick, um, today's 9-11, guys. Um, for some of you guys, we, we've got a lot of international viewers. On September 11th, we were attacked by some terrorists. Um, you know, they attacked the World Trade Center, Twin Towers. And, um, you know, we lost, I think, like 3,000 um, 3, Americans, almost 3,000 Americans passed away. Uh, so we're going to take a quick moment of silence um, because obviously this is a very important day in American history. And then we're going to go ahead and I'm going to tell you guys what inspired me to actually become an agent. So I'm going to take... A quick moment of silence for all those that passed away. Thank you, guys. Um, now, you know, for all the people who say, oh, cover up, blah, 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 you know, the, the conspiracy theorists, guys, you know, you can have your opinion, you're entitled to your opinion, but at the end of the day, one thing we can't uh, refuse is that people died. And, uh, you know, the least we could do is at least show those people respect that lost their lives on that day. And um, I'll give you guys a quick little story time, okay? 
So uh, on September 11, 2001, I remember exactly where I was. I was in sixth grade at um, um, Pulaski Middle School in New Britain, Connecticut. And I was sitting in my English language arts class. And I remember getting, uh, you know, the loudspeaker right back then. It goes, hey, everybody, you know, like one of those, those old shitty loudspeakers. And they say, hey, something terrible happened in New York. Uh, we're going to end school early, right? So all of us were like, yeah, woo! You know, because it was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So we were like super excited, right? And we're like, yeah, woo, let's get out of here. We were all excited, and we got the hell out of there, right? So I'm going home. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be lit. I'm going to play video games. Nobody really knew what was going on, right? We're all sixth-grade kids. I was, I was uh, 11 years old at the time. And uh, I remember getting home, and I remember going, uh, you know, going to, uh, to the TV, and my dad is watching the news. And they had, they're showing like images of like a plane hitting a building. And I was like, what the hell? And it was like surreal. Like, I didn't think it was real. I thought he was like watching a movie or something like that. And uh, even he was like, yeah, we got attacked. Like he knew, because at that point, like they were kind of suspecting like a terrorist attack, whatever that America is under attack. But guys, remember it was mayhem, right? There was um, planes flying everywhere. People, you know, uh, one, one, one of the planes crashed in, uh, you know, in Pennsylvania or was it Pennsylvania or Virginia, whatever it may be. And it was, it was just pandemonium. It was just pandemonium. Right. Uh, and no one really knew what the hell was going on at the time. So after that though, right, let's fast forward a little bit after the nine 11 attacks, I remember getting picked on a lot. Okay. As you guys can see the way that I look, <laughs> I can easily be, you know, I grew up in a Muslim household. My family are, are from Sudan. So people were, oh, are you Indian? You Pakistani? Oh, your uncle attacked us. Da, da, da. And they made a bunch of jokes on, you know, my background, everything else like that. I don't really care too much, right? It made me have very thick skin. If you guys you guys wonder why I have such a um, sense of humor or whatever maybe, or I don't get offended, the reason why is because I got bullied a lot in school, especially after 9-11. I mean, hell, I remember them saying, oh, Bin Laden's your, your uncle, and Saddam is, you know, after they killed Saddam in like 05, they're like, oh, yeah, you're, <laughs> you, you, we killed your dad. Like, you know, it was fucked up shit, but it was funny, right? I, 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 it is what it is. You got to get a sense of humor. But what I will say is one thing I do remember from back then is that um, my mom got harassed a lot. That's one thing I do remember. She got harassed a lot um, because she would cover her hair. And after 9-11, people weren't so happy with anyone that was Muslim at the time. So um, I remember one time someone drove by. I think we were like at Target or something like that or Walmart. Somebody drove by and like said some something crazy to her. And, um, you know, the look on her face was just like, ah, fucking again, right? And I was like, man. I'm going to I'm going to work in law enforcement so that we can go ahead and get the fucking guys that did this shit so no one else has to to ever deal with that. You know? You know, obviously I'm not like excusing that idiot's, you know, ignorance for, you know, insulting my mom just because she wore a hijab. But, you know, a lot of good Muslims like um suffered the consequences after 9/11 simply for, you know, what the the religion they practice, right? And obviously, you know, these extremists fuck it up for everybody else. So um, anybody else that, that's that's um, Muslim or comes from that part of the world, the Middle East or India or Pakistan or Asia or wherever it may be, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about after 9-11. Hell, even if you weren't, let's say you weren't Muslim, but you were like Hindu or something like that, they still gave you the same type of energy because people were ignorant, you know? They didn't know the difference. So that definitely motivated me to get into law enforcement. People ask all the time, hey, what, what like inspired you? 9-11 was a big inspiration. And 9-11, um, guys, actually created the Department of Homeland Security in 2003. The Homeland Security Act was, you know, pretty much enacted um, to kind of 
thwart terrorism. And a big reason why was because the agencies weren't working together. Uh, a big part of and when I'm going to talk about this in detail when I break down the 9-11 case for y'all. But a big reason why the terrorists are able to even get on the planes and get the visa and everything else like that was because agencies weren't sharing information. And um, what happened with the Homeland Security Act is they combined some agencies to kind of make things a bit easier. And two of the agencies that they combined are the agency that I worked for, I worked for before I resigned, which was uh, Homeland Security Investigations. It was legacy prior to that, U.S. Customs Service and Immigration Naturalization Service. And then they went ahead and merged the two agencies together and they created something called ICE or Immigration Customs Enforcement. And then within ICE, there's two components of that, okay? There's Homeland Security Investigations, who, you know, with the special agents that do the criminal cases, then you got Enforcement and Removal Operations, ERO, right? And they're tasked with um, actually, you know, removing and deporting illegal aliens and apprehending them as well, okay? So uh, real quick, let me hit some of these chats that may have come in. Uh, we got uh, five bucks from Hobo Zexual goes, hey, yo, Myron, that, uh, <laughs> that pearly things chick takes your talking points and even use all the same analogies you use, straight grifter. Nah. No comment. Uh, Y'all know. Uh, best story time, five bucks. Hey, Myron, how you search up indictments warrants again? Or where's the episode when you explained it? I got popped a while back. Now I want to know who told. <laughs> well, number one, my friend, it's got to be a federal case. And then number two, um, you got to know what district you were arrested in. Send a super chat in with your, uh, with your name and where you're at, and I'll show you how to find your own case. <laughs> Go ahead if you if you really want to have some fun with this thing. I'll... Um, we got here, Myron's grandfather, aside from my, here we go. See, <laughs> and he has a picture of Bin Laden. Aside from my PFP, respect to those who are lost to this day. All right, <laughs> you guys are clowns. Uh, let's see here, um, anything else? All right, cool. And then we got Camino Kills dropping my early, like early. Thank you so much. Shout out to all the members, Dr. B84 in the house, uh, Jonathan Hogu. What's good, everybody? Up. Yep, shout out to you, my friend. Uh, yeah, cool. So, okay. So real quick, because I I know we got a lot of um, people that um, that just started watching this channel, whatever. So let's do a quick rewind before Fresh and Fit. All right, before Fresh and Fit, guys, I was special agent, Homeland Security Investigations (HSI). Okay, and you know they do a bunch of different types of investigations. Instead of me boring you guys, I'm gonna go ahead and show you guys a video of what they do. Um, but what I will say is, I started as intern in Boston. Okay, from 2010 to 2013, I went, uh, I was in the Boston field office as an intern, and then I became an agent in 2013. I was in the New Haven field office for a period of, I think, like six or seven months, went down to the academy, trained there for six or seven months, went to Laredo, Texas. Laredo, Texas was my full field office, my, my first full-fledged duty station, right? I was there from 20, um, excuse me, I was there from 2014 to 2018. In 2018, I transferred to the Miami field office where I stayed there for two years. And as you guys know, uh, from 2018 to 2020, I was an agent in Miami and I had to uh, resign. And the reason why I resigned was because basically <laughs> we started to blow up on YouTube. Okay. We started to blow up on YouTube guys. And, um, you know, as someone that's in the government, you know, as an agent where you have to testify and everything else like that, they don't want you, um, you know, on the internet like that, guys. Like, I mean, they, they encourage agents, whether you work for DEA, FBI, whatever, whoever it is, uh, HSI, they don't want you guys on, they don't want you on the internet like that, okay? Because the thing is that anything you say on the internet could be used against you, like, in court. And what I mean by court, I don't mean, like, oh, it could be used against you in court of law, huh? No, but, like, you're supposed to maintain a certain type of... um air about you where you're not you're not necessarily opinionated because they don't want you to go ahead and say that 
you're a biased witness. Because remember, guys, what you are when you're a special agent for the government is you're basically a professional witness. That's what you are. Okay, you gather evidence, you gather facts, you arrest suspects, you um, develop cases, and you are tasked with being an expert witness. You're a professional witness for the U.S. government. So your credibility is everything. So anything that you say in the Internet could be used against you with defense attorneys. Right. Like all they got to do is be like, oh. Agent Gaines, I saw that on this episode of Fresh and Fit on such and such day, you said that. These 304s ain't loyal. What does that mean? You know what I'm saying? And they could use that shit, even though the case could be on like drug trafficking, have nothing to do with 304s. They could go ahead and use that to try to make you look like a less incredible witness, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, guys? So that's what the defense has to do. All they have to do is just like dilute the water a little bit and be able to build a case. All right? So that's why. Um, so they, they basically didn't like it. Um, and they gave me a choice. Hey, you know, you got to suspend your outside employment activities. Uh, and, you know, keep doing the job or, you know, you resign. And and at that point, we had employees. I had a team behind me. I had to leave. And and, and as you guys know, I I, talk, I think about that job every day. It was fun. It was it was a great career. You know, I have nothing bad to say uh, about, you know, being a former agent. It was a lot of fun. Learned a lot. Taught me a lot of character development. Uh, you know, taught me, uh, you know, you guys see me like writing notes and everything else like that. That comes from that job, you know, um, taking things down, being able to listen very closely to what people say. Right. They say a bunch of like you guys see the girl say a bunch of stupid word salad. I'm able to as assess what they say and then go ahead and summarize it and say it back to them. OK, is this what you're saying? Yes. OK, bam. This is why your argument is wrong. Boom, 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 boom. Because you teach they teach you that as agents to like be able to listen to people and then get the facts right. Right. Because you got to remember, a lot of people aren't actually good at speaking. They just yap to yap and they're not able. They don't give you like concrete facts. You have to fish for that shit. So that's a skill that I learned uh, from being there. And, you know, I want to I want to uh, trade it for the world. Ali, uh, two bucks. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, my friend. Um, then we got here. Uh, Rooney, a seven six. Hold on. So when you go to England, what's your not going to pull up on? Pearly, what's on pro thing? What's the be? I'm not going to talk about that, guys. Um. So we got Corey M. Wyron. Thank you so much. Uh, Dare Powell. Yo, man, I sent you a DM for a case. I wanted you to cover Jamaican gangster Christopher Dudas and legendary singer Sam Cooke. Death whole story is nuts. I'm going to DM you Sam Dudas so you know. Okay, if it's good, I'll do it. Um, if it's whack, I ain't going to do it. Um, and if the people can learn something. Um, okay, let's see here if I got anything else. Okay, I think uh, I think we're caught up. Uh, Jarvis O. Harden. ATL, J. Fulton County's own one. No, that's a state case, my friend. That's not a federal case. So that's that's the problem. <laughs> it's a state case. You got to go. You got to go look through the state records to get it. If it was federal, I'd be able to pull it up right now. But if it's a state case, that's a whole other um, filing system that you're gonna have to go through. Um. So okay. Okay. So uh, let's see here. Um. All right, so what I'm going to do, guys, I'm going to go ahead and show you guys what HSI does, okay? The types of crimes, they investigate, everything else like that versus me talking and boring y'all, and then we'll get into the stuff, all right? So share. All right, I'm going to have to probably mute the music because I'm pretty sure that this shit is copyright. And uh, HSI needs some better marketing, man. I'm just going to say that. All right, so this is when they caught Chapo. HSI and DEA were involved in that. Okay. Transnational gangs, as y'all can see, right? They do a lot of that, right? Whether it's uh, MS-13 or Sereno's Mexican Mafia, whatever. 
they do gangs um, all over, right? Uh, the 6 9 case, guys, was a gang case. They went ahead and did a, a gang investigation. That's how they're able to get 6 9 It was HSI in New York that got them. All right, victim rescues. We do a lot of uh, human trafficking, right? Human trafficking, human smuggling, child exploitation, human smuggling, right? This is something that I specialized in when I was on the border. This, guys, I was, yo, holy shit. This clip right here, this is going to sound crazy. This was taken in Laredo, Texas. This was from one of my cases, guys. <laughs> I was watching this video, like, trying to get, like, get y'all, um, like, an idea of, like, what HSI does. Bro, this is my case right here. Crazy, 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 crazy. Um, and I'll talk to you guys about this one day. We did a um, a controlled delivery, okay, of illegal aliens to San Antonio, Texas. I'll I'll break this case down for. I did crazy shit when I was on the job, guys. <laughs> this was basically an undercover operation where we had um, we we're meeting with um, we we're meeting with some bad guys. And those bad guys, what they did was they gave us some illegal aliens, right? Thinking that we we're going to transport them to San Antonio for them. So we went ahead and took the aliens in, right? And then what we did was, and illegal aliens guys are, are you know, undocumented migrants, whatever you guys want to refer to them. But legally speaking, in the United States, you call them um, illegal aliens. Yeah, I was shocked when I was watching this. I was like, wait, that's my case. <laughs> um, I recognize this car right here in the back. And then this is Laredo, and I recognize this truck. So anyway, um, Anyway, uh, so, <clears throat> uh, so yeah, we we had like control. We we did a control delivery, and then we took the aliens to um uh, to what's it called to San Antonio. We didn't actually take them there, but we 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 drove the truck up there, and we met with the bad guys, and we arrested them. And I'll and I'll talk about the whole thing one day. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's continue. Right. Yeah, I would see a lot of that, and then obviously drug smuggling, right? Maritime, especially. This happens a lot in Miami. Right. Yeah, we, we definitely um, combat drugs, right? HSI is one of the biggest agencies that does drug, drug investigations, okay? The rapid response team, guys, rapid response team, basically, like, when there's, like, a hurricane or some kind of crazy um, natural event, they, they deploy and they go out and help people. Not to be, um, you know, uh, mixed with um, the special response team or SRT. SRT is our SWAT team, guys. They're the guys that, you know, they're doing all the high, you know, the high speed stuff, the crazy tactical stuff. They're going after the worst of the worst people. Like if you got a, a search warrant, a dangerous search warrant or a dangerous arrest warrant, these guys are, are the guys that you send in. They're very, very tactical SWAT team. They, they train with, you know, Delta Force and special ops and, you know, Green Berets, all that stuff. So. I was going to uh, do SRT, but then I, I couldn't swim. So there we go. That's a big fail for your boy, Myron. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. And then you got the Border Enforcement Security Task Force, guys. Best. Um, on the Southwest border, guys, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of kidnapping. There's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on. So best um, works together with other law enforcement agencies, and they go ahead and, uh, you know, do those types of investigations that are directly tied to the border. Okay. Um, work a lot with other agencies, right? CBP. Um, okay, cyber crimes. HSI does a lot of um they do a lot of um child pornography, a lot of uh, dark web crimes, a uh, lot of stuff like that, guys. Um we we actually we we man, I, I would say HSI probably is a lead agency when it comes to child exploitation now. 
They might have taken over the FBI. Um, you know, FBI does CP as well, but HSI, man, they they really like, yeah. Because you guys got to remember that child pornography used to be something was more of a customs violation because people have to smuggle that shit in. But now it's on the internet, and when it's on the internet, it affects interstate commerce. Boom, the feds got it. So, um, but HSI does most of the child exploitation nowadays. You know, FBI does it too, but um, I think I think HSI does more of them. And then identity benefit fraud. Identity benefit fraud, guys, is like when people make fake passports, fake documents, making presses, making fake driver's license, all that other stuff. Um, they go after. And then global trade investigations. Yep. You know, obviously, um, this is commercial fraud. A lot of people do commercial fraud. And then intellectual property and trade fraud. Guys, this is something also interesting that we do, uh, that they basically, um, you know, if you make counterfeit stuff, you know, Coach, Louis Vuitton, et cetera, this is all customs violations. And then you got, um, okay, counterproliferation investigations. I will go ahead and do one of these for y'all. I did a very big one um, when I was, like, in the way beginning, a CPI case. And counterproliferation, guys, is people try to get U.S. technology, right, uh, on weapons or whatever it may be, and give it to foreign adversaries, okay? And these cases can get really, you know, espionage if you know what I'm saying. And um, they're, they're really interesting. They're boring as hell uh, if you got a long, boring one, but they're, they can be really, really um, complex and really uh, good. And this is like, uh, you know, p selling and or stealing American technology slash weaponry. Right. A lot of times it deals with weapons. Like in this case, look, this guy's trying to buy him. Uh, this was an undercover operation where a guy's buying a machine gun. Or no, excuse me. That was a rocket launcher. And then we also do financial crimes, a lot of money laundering. Right. Um, typically, especially with like drugs going into United States and then money coming southbound, right? So a lot of uh, financial investigations. Yeah, this is what the badge looks like, by the way, guys. <clears throat> right, and then work sign enforcement. They also do that as well, which is um, when you, uh, you know, people that employ illegal aliens like on a mass scale, that's criminal. And then also cultural property theft. That's interesting. I I've, I had a friend that used to do these types of cases. Did, did y'all know that people actually are out here stealing artwork and artifacts like crazy? Like, I was like, what the fuck? Like, what? <laughs> what? But, yeah, a lot of people steal, um, you know, artifacts, artwork, paintings, scriptures, etc. It's actually like there's a whole um, dark side of the world that does this and sells it on the black market. I did not know that. Uh, but I have a friend that actually specializes in this very crime. So very interesting. Yeah, people stealing, stealing fossils, all that shit, man. Shit is crazy. All right. So anyway, that right there, my friends, is an introduction to HSI. Now, you guys are probably wondering, well, what do special agents do on a typical day? Instead of me talking about it, guys, I'm going to show you guys this video. Um, and then we're going to get into the trial because I really want you guys to understand the duties and uh, the life of what it's like to be a federal agent. All right. Like as a United States special agent, that's a great question that's often asked. But it's also a hard question to answer. I hate to sound cliche, but it really is true that being a special agent is not a nine to five job and there is no typical day. And that is true. This is not a nine to five job at all. Guys, I remember days where I would literally go in to work on a Monday, especially when I was on the southwest border. I wouldn't get home until like Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, that crazy. You'd be working that much, man. So, um, yeah. It's not. It's definitely not a nine to five job. If you want to be able to, you know, 
go in at nine and come home at five. Like, obviously there's, you know, certain groups and certain types of agencies that will allow you to live that, that lifestyle. But if you want to be running and gunning and doing big cases or whatever, fuck no. I, man, I remember you guys say all the time, yo, Myron, why can't you sleep? Why don't you sleep? Blah, blah, blah. You guys want to know why I don't sleep? I'll give you guys the secret right here. Not even the secret or why. The reason why guys is that when I was on the Southwest border, I was on call like three times. We were on call all the time. Okay. So when you're on call, if they catch people smuggling aliens, if they catch people at the bridge with drugs, if they catch people doing whatever, guess who they call? You. And then you got to show up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go deal with it. So I was used to being up at night because we would always get called late at night. You know, you were better off sometimes just sleeping during the day than, you know, sleeping at night because you knew that they were going to call you. That's when the crooks were doing all the crazy shit that they do. So, um. So that is why, guys, uh, it's it's not a nine to five job, especially if you work for HSI on the Southwest border. Oh, Lord, you're going to be out all the time, working all the time. I, dude, when I was on the border, we were making arrests damn near every single day. Most federal agents and agencies might make a criminal arrest once every five years. Dude, we're arresting people every day because remember, they're calling you from the ports. They're calling you from the bridges. They're calling you from um, Border Patrol's calling you when they catch people in the brush. So, and then you also had your own investigations that you were doing independently. So you were getting called on response cases, and then you were also getting called, uh, you know, you, to your regular cases. Um, can you review Jared Fogel Subway, Jared case? Uh, I could do that one day. I could do that for sure. Um, what else do we got here, Chats? Hey, Myron, you seem like you're in a great mood tonight. Let's have a good stream, brother. Yeah, we got you, man. I'm, I'm, I try to be in a good mood as much as I can. Uh, this nigga Myron can't swim. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, I know. I'll be, sw- I'll be sinking, bro. You know, I'll live, but like I, I ain't a good swimmer. I'm really bad. Uh, you, yeah, you should definitely do Dudas, aka the president. He got extradited by the USA, and do use dollface. She hasn't, and and do use dollface. She doesn't know shit. Okay, I think you mean don't use dollface. Okay. Uh, the best story time. How I do it. Um, you gotta. I mean, just go to your county, bro. Go to your county clerk, and they'll probably be able to find it. All right. So let's go back to this video as far as like what it's like to be a. Uh, especially just so you guys know, the name of the channel is called Fed 1811 because 1811 is the job series code for all special agents in the United States, whether you work for FBI, DEA, whatever it may be. It's the government series uh, job series code. It's not all like the movies where every day your favorite on screen character is getting in car chases, kicking in doors, and arresting bad guys. While you will do some of that, it's just not a typical day. One thing they never show you on TV is the multiple hours of sitting in front of a computer, researching, typing reports, and utilizing dozens of databases. Bro, that is so true. I spent so much time writing reports. We call them ROIs. Um, different agencies call them different things, like DEA calls it a DEA-6 because that's it's called DEA Form 6. Um, FBI calls them 302s because uh, that's their you know official form number. But you write reports, you're doing database searches, you know, you're doing admin paperwork. Oh man, guys, if I, <laughs> I should, I probably shouldn't be admitting this on air, but I'm going to admit this real quick. <laughs> one of the things that I would get dinged on really bad, right? That every single one of my supervisors hated about me guys is that I would always be late on my car reports. Okay. <laughs> oh man. Should be admitting this shit. My admin paperwork stuff was trash. I didn't give a fuck about none of that stuff, okay? Because <laughs> you're supposed to do your 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 vehicle report, right? Every month where you put like, you know, you attach your receipts, you, um, you know, you put in your mileage, all that stuff, right? Because they gave you a take-home car. 
right? And then they would give you like admin paperwork to do for your, for your vehicle, right? Getting checks done on it. Um, you know, you would have to do your, your time sheets, all this stupid shit, bro. I sucked at all that stuff. I didn't give a fuck about none of that stuff. I was out there doing real cases. I didn't care about none of that admin stuff. Like, uh, you know, cause here's the thing. I'm gonna keep it all the way a thousand with you guys. The agents that had like really good admin stuff typically sucked and didn't do shit in, on the job. That's the truth. Okay. Anyone that works in this field knows this. The agents that typically suck with the admin stuff are out there fucking arresting people doing shit. They're in court. They're testifying. They're on surveillance. They're on debriefing informants. They're out there in the streets doing stuff. Guys that are in the office all day that don't do anything, they're the ones that keep up with admin stuff because they ain't got nothing better to do, you know? So, you know, it's a give and take. And I'm not going to lie. I was totally cool with sacrificing admin stuff and getting, <laughs> you know, they, get, they give me a hard time about my admin work. I was okay with that because I was bringing big cases, right? Big cases. I got a director's award. One of the cases that I did, as a matter of fact, right now, guys, is up for a Department of Justice Attorney General Award right now, okay? So I was out here, for real. So th my thing is, I didn't care about the admin stuff. Yes, I used to lose my points. I used to lose points on it for my evaluation every year. But my thing was, I'm going to do big cases. I'm going to do wiretaps. I'm going to do OCDFs. I'm going to write reports. I'm going to do surveillance. I'm going to have 10 informants. You know, calling me at all hours of the night, you know, that's what I was about was like making shit happen. And most agents don't do that. Most agents are lazy as hell. They're there to collect an, uh, a paycheck. And anybody that works in law enforcement knows exactly what I'm talking about. Everybody knows that uh, in any agency you work for, whether you're a police department, state police, feds, investigator, whatever it may be, there's typically only the top 10 to 20 percent of guys doing most of the work, uh, just like the Predator Principle. 12M of cocaine found in baby wipes, Laredo, Texas, Myron. Do agents get bonuses for busts like that? No, they do not, my friend, but good uh, good stuff. Um, I did hear about that in Laredo. <sighs> Happens often, guys, where they're busting people for, for big drug loads like that. Happens all the time. Shout out to Laredo, Texas. That was my first place. Um, will you ever do Kyle Rittenhouse? Yes, I will. I just got to coordinate with, um, with Andrew Esquire about it. And uh, Young Dolph, yes, we're going to do Young Dolph as well. Uh, we got to go to Memphis to get the documents. We figured that out. Uh, I was talking with Christine about that yesterday or two days ago. We got to go to Memphis. I'm probably going to send her over there to get them. Uh, can you review the Jared Fogel? Yep, I will do that as well. Um, all right, let's keep going. But that just wouldn't be exciting TV now, would it? With that being said, we'll try to break down what a typical day consists of. Your work hours will vary greatly based on your assignments. Extreme power goes, Fetty is coming for you. No, he's not, bro. He don't care about that, girl. Don't be stupid. We, do, we already, I got the insider stuff. Nobody cares. Jamal Hicks. Five bucks. I want to work for CP. However, I failed the polygraph twice. The first time I failed was because of a high, fel high felony crime. What the fuck? Um, yeah, bro. I'll tell you this right now. The CBP um, polygraph, uh, most people fail it. Most people fail. I think it has something crazy like a 70% failure rate or something wild like that. And they've been trying to fix it for a while. And the reason for that is because there was a lot of corruption within CBP um, about a decade ago. So they started instituting some like pretty serious personnel background checks. And one of them is the polygraph. And that polygraph is very difficult. A lot of people fail it. Um, and, and I'll be honest, everybody knows the polygraph is bullshit. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, yo, just keep applying, bro. Don't give up. Keep keep applying. Keep applying. And then congratulations to Fresh and Fit 900K subscribers, basketball practice. Absolutely. That's what we're talking about, baby. But you'll start your day around 7 a.m. and work approximately 10 hours. You'll have days that start much earlier than that, so you can attend a search warrant or arrest briefing. And other days that will stretch into the late evening hours while you're conducting a surveillance or just catching up on paperwork. All right, I'll be honest with y'all. When I when I was on the job, I didn't start I didn't go into the office until like 
1 or 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, and that's because I would be up uh, late at night, you know, whether it was writing reports, surveillance, whatever it may be. So the only time I would be up at 7 o'clock to work is if we're going to go arrest somebody at 6 a.m. That was the only way I would be up early like that um, to execute a warrant. Because when you do search warrants and arrest warrants, typically 6 a.m. Uh, we got here at Montreal. Rather, go, uh, rather goes, thanks for the show. Glad everything is still in one piece after the other night. Hope uh, called the police on that crazy check after making that threat. Man, bro, y'all think I'm scared of what like a ratchet with a wig has to say, bro? I've, I've been I've been literally sitting across the table from Sicarios that were killing Mexican Marines, bro. Like th- these these clowns don't scare me whatsoever. Volvo 89, go, can you do one on Tyga? You kicked this baby mom out. <laughs> Did I? I don't think I did. Next interrogation. Tell the suspects if they don't talk, you'll bring Big Mo to do the trust fall on them. Yeah, thank you very much, Big Mo. Hey, yo, also, real quick announcement for you guys. You guys have been asking for it, but since Big Mo's in the house, I'll let y'all know. We are going to go ahead and start putting these podcasts on Anchor for you guys. So go ahead. Uh, We're going to – Mo's making the account right now. Mo's going to be managing that Anchor account. So we are going to go ahead and start putting FedIt on Anchor so that you guys can listen to it in your vehicle. I've been getting an overwhelming amount of requests for that. So I got y'all. We're going to start posting our um, FedEx episodes on there as well. We got y'all, man. Thank you guys for the support. We always give the people what they want. Let's keep going with this thing uh, right now. Shout out to Big Mo, by the way. More on the paperwork later. Like we said, though, your hours will vary greatly. So don't expect to punch a time clock and be home for dinner every single day because you won't. As a special agent, you will be issued a government-owned vehicle, or GOV as we like to call it. Your GOV will be your transportation to and from work. Nobody calls it a GOV, guys. They call it a G-Ride, okay? No one calls it a fucking GOV. Like, that's the official term for it, but everyone calls it, yo, the G-Ride, the G-Ride, that's how they call it. And it's essentially your office on wheels. Your desk will more times than not be a cubicle. We call our offices cubicle cities because it's just rows and rows of cubicles. It's loud and busy with activity. In your G-Ride, guys, you typically want to keep, you know, um, extra set of clothes in there. You want to have, you know, a go bag, which basically has more extra ag- magazines, um, handcuffs, uh, forms, right? Like in my, you know what, guys? I might have a go bag here still. You know what? Let me see. Go ahead. I might have a tree for y'all. Give me one second. Let's, I'll keep playing this. Again. It's not like you see on TV where every agent has a corner office with a view of the city and the furniture is ultra modern. Everything will be very standard and government-like. Like most jobs, you'll start your day by checking your email and voicemail. Then you'll check to see if you have any new assignments or cases assigned to you. Every agency uses some sort of case management database and that is how you'll keep track of your ongoing cases. You will manage a dozen or more cases at a time, depending on your agency and assignment. And your cases will all be at different stages in the investigation process. It's up to you to manage all of them. So good multitasking skills is a must. Now that you're all coming. Now, when I was an agent myself, I had a bunch of different cases. I had a bunch of cases that like, you know, sometimes they they get passed down to you from people that leave or you have your own cases where you're, you know, proactive, which means you like you're going out there, you're talking to your informants, you're making the case happen. Then you got other cases where um, you were requested by another agency to help out, whatever it may be. So like for us, for HSI, we get a lot of requests from like CBP, Office of Air, Marine, Border Patrol, whatever it may be. If they catch someone doing some shit, they'll call you as the investigator, so you'll come in and you'll take the case over. So it depends. Not up with the administrative stuff. You might have some other things on your schedule, like attending a classified meeting or briefing testifying in a court hearing, 
preparing for an upcoming trial, conducting a search or arrest warrant with your team, meeting with informants, or gathering evidence on one of your various... Now, let me say this. Classified meetings, guys, I mean, unless you work for the FBI, a lot of times you're not going to be doing classified stuff. And to be, and uh, honestly, guys, cl classified shit, it is not as sexy as people tell you. It is virtually... It is useless. You can't use it in trial. You can't use it in court. So, you know, oh, it's classified. Oh, it's a waste of time. It's literally a waste of time. 99% of the time, it's a waste of time. If you're doing classified stuff, you can't do big criminal cases. Just, just doesn't work that way. Cases. You'll need to gather evidence on all of your investigations. That part is up to you. Special agents are fact finders and collectors of Real quick, someone goes, uh, sorry, I was Fetty Wap's uh, baby mama. Can you do one on him? I already did one on Fetty Wap, guys. Uh, I, actually, I perfectly called it that he was going to uh, have to plead guilty. So I already did Fetty Wap's drug case. They caught him uh, quite, well, quite a bit. You know, he was involved in a big conspiracy. Information. You'll gather evidence by interviewing suspects, witnesses, victims, and confidential informants, performing surveillance, obtaining copies of court records, and various other methods. But your typical day could also consist of training, because as a special agent, your training never ends. Your training could consist of online training regarding legal updates, or physical training like firearms qualifications, updated arrest tactics, or practicing surveillance techniques. And then there's the paperwork. As a special agent, you will be doing lots and lots of paperwork. And real quick, just to show you what I mean by when he says uh, paperwork, right? So this right here, guys, I got this fucking treat for y'all, man. <laughs> so this bad boy right here, I've had this since, man, for like eight years now. I've had this since like 2014 when I was an agent in Laredo, Texas. And I'll show you guys what this is. So this right here, I carried this everywhere with me guys everywhere okay and what it was is it's kind of like a, a binder slash notebook thing whatever and i'm going to show you guys exactly what it was so number one if i was interviewing a bad guy i'll just pull this little tab right here bam boom notepad pen and paper right ready to go take my notes i actually have some old notes here from a case from back in the day right then if you open it up I have it nice and organized, as y'all can see there. I have a bunch of different tabs, okay, of forms, okay? You can't see exactly what it is, but I got, like, different forms right there that, would, that I would use, all nice and organized, okay? One of those forms was a Miranda form, okay? When you arrest somebody, you have to read them their rights, right? This, my friends, is a, what a Miranda form looks like right here, okay? I told y'all I was out in these streets, baby. <laughs> and um, you know, and you you know, you read them their rights, right? When when you got them in custody or whatever. I have like bio forms, right, where you take their personal information. I got um, consent to search forms if you want to search their house. I got seizure forms, electronic consent forms to search their phones, jail paperwork when you drop them off to the uh, to the to the marshals. What else here? Thirty day destruction letters. All this stuff, man. So you had to be ready, right? And I, this thing went everywhere with me, guys. Anytime I was going to go interview a bad guy, debrief an informant, uh, or I was showing up um, to any type of case, I would show up with this, and I had all my forms. This would always be in my G-Ride, okay? So, um, you know, you got to be prepared. You got to be squared away as an agent. You got to have all your stuff ready to go. You got to be ready. But that, that, was really, that was really cool going through that. I haven't opened that in a few years now. So... 
That's why I love this channel. You guys really be helping me go down memory lane on this thing. It's not glamorous, but it's just the nature of the job, and it's necessary to complete the mission. Virtually everything you do will be documented. You will have deadlines to meet, boxes to check, and endless forms and memos to comply with. If you interview a suspect, for instance, you'll write a detailed report afterwards. If you do a surveillance on a location, you'll complete a report. If you're preparing for a search warrant the next week, you'll submit a very detailed plan that will be submitted to your supervisor for approval before any action can be taken. If you want to take out money to pay your confidential informant, you will need to fill out a form or submit a memo explaining in detail the reason for your request. And all of that paperwork has to be approved, sometimes by multiple supervisors, and then uploaded into the case management system and then a paper copy is saved in a physical case file. It's frustrating at times because you'll get bogged down with administrative tasks and paperwork, but that's just- Unless you're uh, Myron Gaines. <laughs> what? Administrative paperwork, fuck that. It's part of working for the government. You get the point though. Everything in the federal government is documented and there seems to be a policy and procedure for everything. Again, that's not a bad thing. It's just how the government operates. Everything is very calculated and precise for good reason. And inevitably, during your day, you will receive phone calls, more emails, text messages, and requests for assistance. The public will call your office with various questions and for guidance on all sorts of issues. Oh, I'll tell you this. Like, um, not only will the public call you, sometimes, right, if you're like the duty agent, right, that means like you're the guy on call, you'll get all kinds of crazy ass things. Yo, they're following me. I don't know what's going on. Ah! Like weirdos fucking hit you up or whatever. So... Um, or they'll walk into the office and they'll ask like weird ass questions of like, yo, what the hell? So you got to deal with all that stuff, man. So anytime you're on the on, you're the on call guy, <laughs> who knows what the hell's going to happen. Also during the day, some special agents will engage in some sort of physical activity. Agents are allowed one hour per day for physical fitness. And some offices have dedicated gym facilities on site. You will also get pulled during the day to help other agents out with their cases. As a special agent, you will rarely do anything investigative wise by yourself and you will. Yeah, um, that is true. Uh, with HSI, I think they gave you uh, three hours a week or four hours a week to, to train um, like uh, you can you could do it on hours. So uh, that was really cool, too. And a lot of time knocking on doors and talking with people. You must. And yet yeah, that's also two guys. You're never going to go and do anything by yourself. You always need a witness with you. So anytime you watch a movie and you see an agent going meeting with an informant by themselves or doing an interview by themselves, that shit doesn't work. You always need to go with someone else. It doesn't have to be another agent. It could be like a, you know, it could be like a, uh, you know, another police officer. It could be someone else that's involved in law enforcement or whatever. But you never go and do any type of investigative activity by yourself. You always need a witness. So anytime you watch a movie and it's a detective going by himself to meet an informant, that right there, my friends, is a big not good. Okay. Just have good interpersonal skills to be successful. So that's just the typical stuff a special agent might do in a day. But as your career progresses, you will often become specialized in a certain area and your daily activities will change. For instance, you might be part of a violent crime or drug task force, a member of the SWAT or special response team. Violent crime and drug task forces are, are fun. That's when you're like kicking in doors and you're going after the most dangerous of people. You might specialize in undercover operations, be assigned to the public affairs office. Oh, fuck no. Public affairs, bro? Hell no. That's where they put the useless agents. They usually put the the 
they put the idiots and the bimbos over in a public affairs, guys. Those are people that deal with the press. Those are people that can't really run cases. Those are the, the weirdos. Or be a part the of useless agents go there. Of the training or recruitment division. The list of specializations goes on for days. But the point is that your daily responsibilities will change as your career progresses and you begin to follow what really interests you as an agent. But every agency is different, so your experience might be different. So, now your day is over, or is it? You see, as a special agent, you'll be issued a smartphone, and that means emails, phone calls, and text messages are coming in around. Shout out to my boy fucking Daquan Wilshire. My ninja right there, man. He's going to be here uh, in October for a freshest birthday, man. Guys, do me a quick favor. Pause whatever the hell you're doing. Subscribe to his YouTube channel, Daquan Wiltshire. He also has a gaming channel as well. And check him out on Twitch. One of the funniest people on YouTube. I am not kidding around. One of the funniest people by far on YouTube. Check him out. Um, and he's also been busting his ass in the gym looking really good. Pause. Uh, so, yeah, go check him out, man. Good friend of ours. Around the clock. You'll need to balance your work and home life very carefully so you don't burn yourself out. Just remember, your workday may end, but crime never does. So enjoy your time off and relax, because tomorrow you'll be solving the crime that happens today and hopefully preventing future crime from taking place. Have a great day and thanks for watching. Yeah, so that's pretty, that's a very good um, overview, accurate overview of what it's like. You know, every agency is different, guys. So. Obviously, depending on who you work for, that's going to dictate a lot of, um, you know, how how you do things. So, but in general, that's a very good assessment of what it's like to be a criminal investigator slash special agent slash 1811 in the U.S. government. Okay, so now that you guys know what HSI is, you guys know what special agents do. Now we're going to go ahead and go over a case that I did back in 2018, guys. Okay, this was a human smuggling case that I got from Customs and Border Protection OFO. Now you guys are probably, not, not OFO, sorry, Aaron Marine. So I'm going to introduce you guys real quick to who these guys are, Aaron and Marine. Okay. This is them right here. Okay. These guys, think of them as the eyes and ears of Customs and Border Protection on the water and in the air. Okay. Um, let me see here. Let me, where's their Wikipedia? Here, because if I go on their website, you know, government-run websites aren't as informative. Government is a little bit behind when it comes to internet, guys. Uh, Air Marine, AMO. Okay, so this is them. But first, before we get into it, let's go ahead and go through um, this indictment, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and share screen over here. My bad. Share. Stop. Okay. So this case, like I told y'all before, guys, was a human smuggling case, maritime human smuggling, which means it was done on the water, okay? The, the person's name was Stanley Roll. A Bahamian, okay? Um, and that is a very common last name because I can't tell you how many people I arrested that had the last name role. But this is what he, this is the indictment, okay? And you guys know an indictment is a formal charge from the U.S. government. A grand jury went ahead and listened to the case and indicted him, okay? So um, this is one of the cases I did myself. So as you can see, 8 U.S.C. 1324, 8 U.S.C. 1324, A1A, all these different things. You guys are probably wondering, what the fuck is 8 U.S.C.? 8 U.S.C., guys, is the Immigration and Nationality, um, or the INA, okay? 8 USC, typically, if you ever see anything that says 8 USC, it's going to be a, a, um, uh, an, um, an immigration violation to some degree, okay? And in this case, 8 USC 1324 is human smuggling or alien smuggling, all right? And then all these subsets is like a conspiracy or, you know, inducement, whatever it is. Like, it, it like you know, it, it specifies that a little bit. But 8 USC 1324, in general, 
is human smuggling. 1326 is illegal reentry, and then 1327 is, I think, when you bring in an illegal alien that's a felon. But let's double check. So here's the indictment that he got hit with count one: conspiracy to induce and uh, to encourage and induce aliens to enter the United States. This is his name, right? And then the second, uh, the set counts through two through seventeen: encouraging and inducing aliens to enter the United States. Okay. And these were the aliens that he smuggled into the U.S. The reason why they wrote out these two guys' names and they use initials for these other guys is because these guys were convicted felons, guys. Okay, since these guys were convicted felons, it's an extra charge if you smuggle in illegal aliens that are convicted felons. All right. And then next was counts 18 through 33, bringing aliens to the United States for commercial and private financial gain. What does that mean? Well, guys, I've told you guys this before. I'll say it one more time. Human smuggling is a business, guys. If you ever see an illegal alien in the United States, Nine out of 10 times, they were professionally smuggled into the United States through some type of illicit criminal organization. I'll explain. Let's say I'm a dude from China, okay? My name is Ling Ping. Are we canceled yet? No? All right, we're still here. All right, cool. So let's say I'm, I'm, I'm an illegal alien from China, right? All jokes aside. And I want to come into the United States. Well, right, I need to pay a smuggler in China to get me over to the United States. I might get smuggled in through the Bahamas, through Maritime, or I might get smuggled in more commonly through Mexico, okay? So now I pay my smuggler in China. I got a contact there. He pays somebody else to get me from China to a transit country. Now, a transit country, guys, a lot of times is somewhere like Mexico, the Bahamas, or South America where they can stage you, prepare you, and then move you into the United States. So for this example, let's use Mexico. I go ahead, I pay money to a smuggler. He facilitates my travel to Mexico, right? He hooks me up with hotels, et cetera, and he's in contact with smugglers in Mexico. This is an illicit network. Everybody knows each other, right? So he goes ahead, gets me to Mexico. I'm paying, by the way, the whole way. I'll tell you guys right now, the going rate for a Chinese national to come to the United States is typically between fifty dollars to $60,000. One more time for y'all. Yes, I said that right. The going rate for a Chinese national to be smuggled into the United States from Mexico the going rate is somewhere between fifty to sixty, seventy thousand dollars. Okay, U.S. So by the time they get to Mexico, they're probably already in twenty to thirty thousand dollars. All right. So they get to Mexico and then they're moved north. As they're moved north, they pay more and more money to different uh, to different smugglers in the organization. Okay. There's there's different types of people at different levels. So once they get to the border, right? Like let's say in Laredo, you got Nuevo Laredo, which is across the border from Laredo, Texas, right? Once they're there, they got to pay the final payment pretty pretty much. And what that is, is that they're going to pay their smugglers to help them cross into the river, across the river and into the United States and get in a vehicle and then get them to a stash house in, once in the United States. OK, but that's just one example of Chinese. I know some of you guys are probably saying, yo, why do Chinese get charged more? The reason why Chinese get charged more, guys, as I get a, take a sip of my thing here. This, uh, this is this is how it goes. Chinese, Indians, Pakistanis, Arabs, um, anyone from the Middle East in general, those are considered exotics. Aliens from these types of country, guys, Russians, right? Aliens from these countries have to pay more because there's a security risk to the um, human smuggling organizations. They're smuggling someone who is of a different nationality, which brings more law enforcement attention to them, not only in their home country of Mexico or wherever it may be, but it puts them at risk for their entire smuggling organization moving aliens like this. So what ends up happening is one of two things. Either A, you got specialized smugglers that only deal with that nationality of aliens, okay? So you got a lot of Chinese nationals, for example, that only smuggle Chinese nationals, and they live in Mexico, and they facilitate the transportation of said aliens. Or you have um, Mexican human smuggling organizations that will go ahead and take these Chinese, but they're going to charge them a premium. 
okay? Because it makes their entire or it opens their organization up to to uh, to be susceptible to law enforcement. Because even though police are corrupt in Mexico, it's one thing for them to turn a blind eye towards another Mexican. It's another thing for them to turn a blind eye towards a Chinese individual, okay? So that's why they charge them. So going back to what I was saying, human smuggling, guys, is a business. Anytime you see a smuggler moving aliens into the United States, typically it's for commercial or private gain, which comes back to this indictment right here that we're talking about. It's always going to be involved with money, okay? And then, uh, they, so they're saying that, you know, he um, went ahead and got he commercial gain, and they're using these aliens as witnesses because these aliens actually paid him, right? And then we got conspiracy to allow, procure, and permit certain aliens to enter the United States. Then you got illegal entry of a removed alien. Okay, so this is a big one right here, guys. If you've been removed from the United States prior and you come back in, you get hit with something called 8 USC 1326, which is a felony, okay? The first time you're removed is 1325, which is a misdemeanor. 1326, however, is you've been removed or deported and you come back, okay? And this guy, um, Stanley, he had been arrested in 2011, et cetera. He had cases prior to when I arrested him, okay? Then you got count 36, illegal entry of removed alien again, right? Because this guy was a removed alien, right? And then forfeiture allegations, like, because he got caught with a bunch of money. We seized $23,400 from this guy. Um, so we ended up seizing that. We, we took his boat, uh, 25-foot hydrosport vessel bearing Florida registration number, et cetera. And we took all um, anything else that, um, that he might have had. And you guys can see, we seized it. Um, as you guys can see, he got indicted. This was the AUSA right here, Philip Jones, nice guy. Um, we got a true bill, and he got indicted on November 8th, 2018. Um, and I remember because the way grand jury works, guys, is, you know, when someone's about to get indicted, right, I take all my inform information, I present it to AUSA, we get a grand jury day, I walk in there, I'm, you know, suited up or whatever, I sit down, and then I basically explain the case to the grand jury, the grand jury hears the case, they deliberate, and then, you know, assuming you have enough probable cause, what you do if you're doing a grand jury in the first place, you go ahead and you get that true bill, once you get that true bill of indictment, the judge issues an arrest warrant for the individual. You take that arrest warrant and you go get them. And I'm going to explain to you guys how we went to go get them in a second. So uh, let's go ahead and go into the factual proffer. Okay, guys, with the, uh, what led to this investigation? And we got 961 of you guys in here. Do me a favor and like the video, please. I would really appreciate that. Um, let me make sure I didn't miss any of you guys here. I'm a, It's a one-man show today. Uh, Karan Kaur, shout out to you. Welcome. Uh, I could pay off my student loans. <laughs> yeah, facts. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, bro. The Chinese pay a lot. Arabs pay a lot too, man. I've seen aliens pay between fifty dollars to $100,000 guys to get smuggled in depending on the country that they're from. The more exotic the country, the more the smugglers charge. Um, Gaina, cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, guys, I'm an expert when it comes to human smuggling and drug trafficking. Uh, that, those, That's what I did. You know what I mean? When it comes to Mexican cartels and how um, illegal... Aliens and drugs are moved into the United States. That is my um, expertise right there. Okay. So anyway. Uh, all right. So let's go ahead and I'm going to read the facts of the investigation for y'all. And let me go ahead and roll this. Uh, and this is a case that I actually did. So this is uh, really cool. Um, all right. On October 24, 2018, in the Straits of Florida, aircraft from the United States Coast Guard, U.S. Coast Guard, and uh, Border uh, Customs and Border Protection, CBP detected a 25-foot boat. Uh, U.S. registered boat approximately 19 nautical miles east of Hallover Inlet in the United States contiguous zone, okay? So real quick, um, CBP, right? It's AMO. These guys right here, who I'm going to show you. Uh, let me just move this over. 
these are the guys that went ahead and found the boat, okay? Because they're doing routine patrols out there on the water, so they encountered this boat. Uh, Air Marine AMO is a federal law enforcement component within the U.S. Customs Border Protection and Agency of the United States Department of Homeland Security. AMO's mission is to protect the American people and nation's critical infrastructure through coordinated use of air and marine assets to detect, interdict, and prevent acts of terrorism and the unlawful movement of people, illegal drugs, and other contraband toward or across the borders of the United States. Air Marine operations agents and officers are endowed with the authority to enforce Title Eight Aliens and Nationality and Title 19 Customs of the United States Code, in addition to the general law enforcement powers bestowed upon law enforcement agents. So as you guys can see, look, Title Eight, just like I told y'all, aliens, and then Title 19 Customs Authority. So basically they have the authority to um, interdict both illegal people and illegal things into the United States, okay? So think of them as the, the police um, for the government on the water and in the air, okay, to make sure that certain things don't make their way into the United States illegally, okay? So that's how are they able to find our friend here, Stanley Roll. And that is the defendant's name in this case, guys. It's Stanley Roll, okay? So, and they found him about, uh, where was it? Um, 19 nautical miles east of Hallover Inlet in the United States contiguous zone. All right, so let's go ahead. I'll show you where that is too, okay? Hallover is a big inlet, guys, in the United States, uh, in Miami, South Florida. And lots of drugs in the 80s <laughs> were brought in through this fucking inlet right here. All right. So this is it right here on the map. Okay. So if you guys back out here, right around, so this is the inlet right here. Okay. As y'all can see, just to give you guys a big, here's Miami. Right? This is where he came in. Shit, where the hell did I did I lose my thing? All over inlet. Okay, right here. This area right here, right? So you come right here, zoom out a little bit. So this is where he, where they caught him. They caught him about 20 miles out. So right around this area here, probably, right? And he was coming, guys from Bimini, which is, where the hell is Bimini? It's supposed to be, okay, here we go. This is where he came from, Bimini, all right? And this is the Bahamas, guys, all right? So they call him coming into the United States, and this is only about, uh, if I'm not mistaken, like 50 miles, okay? So they saw him coming in, AMO. Now you guys got a visual representation. <laughs> Upon spotting the law enforcement aircraft, the bus suddenly the boat suddenly changed course and headed east away from land. Law enforcement boats from the U.S. Coast Guard and CBP intercepted the boat 41 nautical miles east of Miami in international waters and boarded it. So he tried to come to the United States. They caught him at about 19 miles in, right, close to the United States. Then he saw the police and he said, whoa, what the hell? And he got the hell out of there. He turned around and that boat and he went... But they chased after him, right? Coast Guard and CBP have very powerful boats, so they were able to catch up to him. So what ha happened is they went ahead and they boarded his boat. Guys, on international waters, etc., maritime law, the, they're able to go ahead and do uh, board your boat and do inspections, okay? Upon boarding the boat, officers encountered co-defendant Stanley uh, W. Roll, Roll, who was operating the boat, and 16 other people consisting of three Haitian males, one Haitian female, one Chinese female, five Chinese male, five Dominican males, and one Panamanian male. I'll tell you this right now. These Chinese, I remember, each of them paid about $60,000 to be smuggled in the United States, guys. That's how crazy it is.
Okay, and actually, I remember now that now that I'm uh, going through this, these Chinese, I was able to link them to uh, to an organized uh, to a chi- Chinese organized crime syndicate out of Miami and New York. I remember now these these uh, these six Chinese that were caught because I remember interviewing them. And they were involved in another case that I was working in the same time. I you remember how I told you guys back in like uh, 2018. Uh, I think it was right around the time six nine got arrested in, in November of uh, it was December of 2018 or January of 2019. I went to New York to go ahead and do uh, an Asian organized crime case. I was up there for that, and that these six aliens here were involved in that. Okay, because I remember interviewing them. So yes, each of them paid about fifty to sixty thousand. Then you got five Dominican males and one Panamanian male. Okay. Roll was provided his Miranda rights and admitted he was transporting the 16 people to an at-sea rendezvous with another boat. He believed the 16 people were aliens who did not have legal permission to enter the United States and that he was going to be paid for transporting them. Officers found 23400 in cash on his person. Roll stated the boat, aliens to transport, and cash were provided to him by a man in the Bahamas. He threw his phone off the boat when his vessel was boarded by law enforcement. Mm. Why did he do that, guys? The reason why is because he didn't want the police to find evidence on his phone of him communicating with the other smugglers because if he if he gets caught with that, that's an easy conspiracy charge to prove, and he didn't want us to be able to identify the person that was involved in recruiting him in the smuggling of the said aliens, okay? So he had 23K on him and the boat, okay, and the aliens. So all 17 people were trans... And remember, guys, Roll himself is an illegal alien. He was a Bahamian national, Okay. All 17 people were transferred to a U.S. Coast Guard cutter for further identification. Now, you guys might be wondering, what the hell is a U.S. Coast Guard cutter? I got y'all right now. It's a big boat that the um, that Coast Guard uses. And I'll show you guys what one looks like right here. This is it right here. I've been on a couple of these. And typically, when they catch someone, they put them on the Coast Guard cutter. You know, it's it's huge, this thing. And, you know, they process them. They check. They do biometrics, which means they check their um, status. They see if they're illegal aliens, whatever it may be, right? And so they went, to go, went ahead and put them on the Coast Guard Carter. Through checks of government databases, the 16 people with role were confirmed to be aliens with no documents or permission to enter or remain in the United States illegally. Or illegally. All the people were then transferred to the ashore at Miami Beach, Florida, and tra- transported to Dania Beach Border Patrol Station for processing. Okay, so I'll show you guys real quick. U.S. Coast Guard, Miami Beach. Okay, and I would respond to them all the time. And this is their base here. And this is right on the causeway, by the way, guys. Right? This is it right here. Nice little thing. You pull off, right? You get off the causeway, you come here, and then bam, that's that's the, the Coast Guard base. And anytime they bring aliens in, they bring them in here, and then you do your thing, right? And then Dania Beach, right? They have a nice Border Patrol station up there. Uh, yeah, this is the this is the border patrol station in Dania Beach, okay, right here. And this is all public information, guys. This ain't nothing classified or whatever the hell. Like it's everybody knows this shit. Okay, you can Google it, as you guys could just see just there. Um, the defendant Moreno Archibald was among because anytime they catch illegal aliens, guys, they give them to border patrol so that they could process them and put them in in uh, detention center. Which is uh, there's a ICE, there's an immigration detention center in Pompano Beach. Okay, so Border Patrol process them and then they turn them over to enforcement removal operations who basically think of them as like the immigration jail. All right. All the people were transferred ashore to Miami Beach and transported to Dania Beach. Now, at Dania Beach, right, that's where me and my people showed up and we went to go interview everybody involved in the smuggling event. Because so when this went down, guys, 
they contacted us and then we responded to do the investigation because obviously there was a human smuggling uh, event that went on. So the defendant, one of the defendants, was among the aliens found on board the boat with Roll, Moreno Archibald. Based on biometrics, queries, immigration databases, other Department of Homeland Security databases, and files maintained by the U.S. CIS, it was determined that Moreno Archibald had been previously removed and deported from the United States to Panama on or about October 20, 2003, and on June uh, 8, 2016. Okay, so he was a, a felon, this guy, Moreno Archibald, and he had been removed before. So uh, this was the facts of, of the case in general, right? So after that, guys, right, we went ahead and we had the case with your boy, Stanley Roll, okay? And he did not want to plead guilty. And I'll go ahead and share a screen with y'all real quick, show you guys what I'm talking about here. Here is his case. All right, so here he is right here. I'm going to enlarge this here in a second. Let me make sure that I got, I caught all you guys. Jacob Okogo goes, like and subscribe. Shout out to the members. Shout out to all y'all ninjas. And guys, do me a favor. Like the video, please. And then we got uh, anything else here? And we're almost at 100,000 subscribers on this channel, man. That'll help me get a plaque. So guys, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Um, All right, cool. Fresh would sound like Chris PB mouth explain. <laughs> oh man. All right. So here he is right here, guys. He's right now in McCray Correctional Institute in uh, Georgia, right? He ended up, uh, we, he ended up going to trial on this thing. Okay. And you guys know since he's in prison, who won, but these are the charges that he got. Right. Uh, and then here's, like I said, uh, this is the AUSA that did the case, right? Philip Jones, really nice guy. Uh, Brian Sattler. I remember him. Um, and then Yane Hernandez, I remember her as well. She she didn't like me too much, <laughs> but it's all good. All right, so <clears throat> where am I at here? So as you guys can see, this is all the the stuff that went on for the case. You guys can see it was you know long, it's, it's all kinds of crazy shit here, right? But that's how how it goes. Now we're gonna go ahead and go over the evidence um, that was in the case. All right, so let me go ahead and move this stuff over here for y'all. All right. So this is the indictment. Here's the witness list, okay? So these are guys that were involved in the case with me, right? And they were the ones that had to testify. I didn't have to testify because I was, um, because I was, uh, you know, the case agent. So typically the case agent doesn't, doesn't um, testify, right? And then here's the exhibit checklist, all right? Now, this is the evidence that we used in the actual trial, guys, okay? So as you guys can see, you got... Um, and see the AUSA numbers it one through one uh, A through one G, photographs of GoFast vessel. That's the boat that they seized. Okay, and and you guys, here's the days that they got the piece of evidence. This one I gave it to them. Okay, because let me explain something to you guys with trial. All right, so we caught this guy red-handed, right? CBP went ahead and caught him. Let me give you guys a little recap of the events. CBP catches him. He's trying to come to the United States. He's about 20 nautical miles outside the United States. CBP, AMO sees him. They're on boat. He, he sees them. He turns around. He tries to run back to the Bahamas. They catch up to him, stop, stop him, get on the boat, find $23,000, find a bunch of illegal aliens, some Chinese, some Panamanian, etc. They arrest everybody. Coast Guard pulls up. They take those aliens and those individuals, put them on the Coast Guard cutter. They do immigration checks. They figure out that Stanley Roll had been arrested before. They figured out that he threw his phone from uh, overboard, and they uh, find out also that everyone's an illegal alien. So they go ahead. They call HSI, right? 
I was the duty agent that day. Hey, you know, we got this, this such and such going on, blah, blah, blah. We're going to process the aliens and bring them over to the, to the um, Miami, the Miami beach coast guard station. So they bring them back. Border patrol shows up, takes them into custody, brings them to the Dania beach border patrol station. When they get them to the border patrol station, me and my team show up. I'm, I show up with like six or seven agents. We interview all 17 people. At, when we interview all 17 people, they all identify Stanley Roll as the captain of the boat and the smuggler. Okay. Then uh, they also identify that they had paid him money. They had went, they basically tell us the entire story of how they got to the Bahamas, which it always falls along the lines of I left my you know home country on this day. I paid this guy this much money. He got me to this country. Then I paid another guy. He got me to the Bahamas. And then I met th this guy. And then he paid, and then I paid him money. And then he put me on the boat with Stanley Roll. That's typically how it goes. Okay. And every alien has a little bit of a different story depending on where they came. So the Chinese nationals all travel together. The Dominicans travel together, you know, et cetera. So anyway, we interview everybody there. At that point, guys, I was like, okay, I got to gather all my evidence and make sure that I got this thing rock solid. So what did I do? I let Border Patrol turn him over to enforce and removal operations, okay? The ICE guys. Now, while they were all sitting in immigration uh, custody, I went to the prosecutor. I said, yo, this is the case that I got. This is the money I seized. This is all the evidence I got. Let's indict it. He was like, cool, you have enough. Let's go ahead and indict it. So we, we went to grand jury. I testified. We had the evidence that we needed. Get a grand, bill, a grand jury um, true bill of indictment. I get an arrest warrant from the judge. I go back to the immigration center. Tell him, hey, I got a warrant for your arrest. Cuff him up. Cuff up the two aliens, the two um, guys that were uh, felons. Take them and put them in jail with the U.S. Marshals. Then that's when the time clock starts. As soon as you arrest them, the clock starts. Then he basically says, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not pleading guilty, which is rare, guys. In the Fed system, they always plead guilty. But this dude wanted to fight it because his argument was, I wasn't even in U.S. waters. I was 20 miles away, and then I turned around and went back. Y'all shouldn't have arrested me. That was his argument, okay? But in reality, he was in U.S. waters. So stupid. Anyway, terrible argument. But... He thought he had a case, so he didn't want to plead guilty. And mind you guys, this was like the second or third time that he had been arrested. So he was going to do some time if he got arrested again for this shit. So he was like, I'm fighting it. Okay? Um, so obviously when you prepare for trial, guys, as the case agent, your job, right? And the case agent is the main person that run the, runs the case. Your job is to get the, the witnesses ready and to get all the evidence and give it to the prosecutor so that the prosecutor can um, fight the case. All right. And since we're going to trial, we need to have our T's crossed and our I's dotted because he didn't want to plead guilty. So here is the exhibit list here, guys, um, so that this all makes sense now. Uh, let me boom. All right. And let me enlarge it for y'all real fast. OK, this is what an exhibit list looks like when you go to trial. All right, guys, like the video, by the way, because ain't nobody else going to be able to give you guys this type of sauce. Sorry, guys, it's really cold in here. That's why I'm sniffing. It really is cold as hell in this apartment. God damn it. So, <clears throat> so this was the judge. This was the AUSA, the two AUSAs on the case. And then this was the defendant's attorney, right? So we got here um, photographs, right? Then we got photographs of the seized currency. Remember, it was $23,000. Immigration documents for the 16 aliens. What are those immigration documents? Well, guys, whenever people are legal aliens, you, 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 they get something called an alien registration number or an ARN, okay? And that ARN, is tied to that individual based on their fingerprints. So, excuse me. So we're able to establish that all those people that we caught, those Chinese, those Dominicans, whatever, none of them had legal right or authority to be in the United States. 
All right. So we you have to show that though through the immigration documents. Then uh recorded 26 uh 2018 interview of the defendant. So on October 26, right? We went ahead and we interviewed the bad guy um and he gave a statement. And anytime you interview somebody guys in the feds, you have to record the interview. All right? And then you got we had a transcript of the interview as well, right? Anytime you do a, a, a you go to trial, you need a transcript of the interview. And then we had a video of the interdiction and the video guys was um this from CBP AMO. I actually remember going to their office specifically to get the video. They're da- they're downtown in uh in in downtown Miami right by the passport office, right? So I went and got the video. Then they got still frames from interdiction video. So they had him on video getting arrested and they got still frames. Then they got the conviction record for one of the aliens. Because remember, guys, that's an important part of charging role was that he not only brought in illegal aliens, but he brought in two convicted felons. These two guys right here. Okay, Ray De Los Santos and Carlos Arturo Moreno Archibald. These two guys were convicted felons and he brought them in. That's another charge. All right. And then they brought the Miranda form. Okay, I know some of y'all are having fun with that with fresh in the chat. Um, sign Miranda form 102418 and then the sign Miranda form 102618. And a Miranda form, guys, is this right here, and I'll show you. I'm pulling out real quick. I have it in my little kit right here. And I'll and I'll read it to y'all real quick too. This is what an HSI Miranda form looks like, unless they updated it since I've been gone. But this is it right here. Okay. As y'all can see, it says statement of rights. Okay. Department of Homeland Security, Immigration, Customs Enforcement, right? So it goes, before we ask you any questions in my duty to advise you of your rights, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in a court of law or other proceedings. You have the right to consult an attorney before making any statement or answer any questions. You have the right to have an attorney present with you during questioning. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you before any questioning if you wish. You decide to answer questions now. You still have the right to stop the questioning at any time or to stop the questioning for the purpose of consulting an attorney. And then if they say yes, you have them print their name, right? Oh, hold on. Let me make sure I got that in. Uh, Yep. You have them print their name, then you have it signed, and then you have two witnesses, okay? You yourself as the case agent typically, and then someone who does the interview with you, and then you date everything here. And then here's the uh, the rights right here, okay? So that's what the form looks like. And any law enforcement agency has it pretty much the same as this. So like, let's say I did an interview with like DEA or something like that, and I use this Miranda form, it's going to work. If I'm with FBI and they use their Miranda form, it's going to work. It doesn't matter. It's all pretty much the same. Every agency has different forms with that where the wording is different a little bit, but in general, they're all the same thing. And you read them this and then you have them sign. And then when you do have them sign, that, my friend, becomes what? Evidence that they waived their rights and spoke to you, okay? Because if you don't have a Miranda form, let's say you, you get an interview, let's say you arrest a bad guy and you don't read him his rights and you ask him questions that might incriminate him, guess what? That, my friend, is... None of those statements come in because you didn't read them their Miranda rights. Okay. All right. Uh, and then you got map location of GoFast when discovered by CBP. Map location of GoFast vessel when stopped by CBP. And then uh, judge and convictions for the defendant. Because remember, guys, he had been arrested before for this. Okay. And then you got the factual proffer, which is what I just read to you guys right here. Okay. So this is the exhibit checklist. So this is what the prosecutor used against your boy. Stanley W. Roll. Now, court transcript. Now, as you guys know, we went to trial, all right? And what they did was they did a, I got the court transcripts right here of the trial. And what they did was they actually um, put my uh, co-case agent on the investigation, Steve, on the stand. And I'm going to go ahead and read this for you guys, how it works when you're on the stand, okay? So 
AUSA Hernandez, right? She's this is direct. This is what you call direct examination. Okay, guys, and direct examination is when, let's say the you're the agent and the the prosecutor puts you on the stand is direct examination because you guys are on the same team. It's the government's witness, right? Then cross examination is when the defense attorney questions the government witness. Okay, this is why they never put like uh, most defense attorneys will never put their client on the stand because, well, number one, they have a right to not testify, you know, to remain silent. They don't have to say anything. And the other reason is because let's say I go in and put my, my client on the stand. Well, now I also have to go ahead and have the prosecutor ask my client questions on the stand, which could be extremely problematic. All right. So, uh, Steve Quartrochi having been duly sworn by the courtroom deputy testified as follows. Okay. The witness, um, Please have a seat and state your name for the record. So he gives his name, right? And then they say, the AUSA says, good morning. Can you tell us where you're employed? He goes ahead and says, I'm employed by uh, um, Special Agent Homeland Security uh, Investigations in Miami, Florida. What are your duties and responsibilities as a special agent? As a special agent, I'm tasked with investigating crimes involving Title Eight, Title 19 of the United States Code and following immigration customs violations. Now, guys, this is very common. When they put you on the stand, they're going to ask you what you do, uh, who are you employed by, and what is your specialty slash what authorities do you invest? What crimes do you investigate? Okay. That's to set a baseline of who the hell you are. Cause remember guys, the jury, they don't know what the fuck's going on. They're just sitting there like, okay, um, you gotta, you gotta almost dumb it down so that regular people, everyday citizens know what's going on. Okay. Would that also include human smuggling? It would. And why are they asking him this? Because this is a human smuggling trial. And how long have you been working with HSI in this capacity since 2009? Uh, and then they ask him, have you received any special training to become a special agent? And he goes into his training, right? Next, they ask him, now let's turn to matter that brings us before the court today. How did you first become involved in this case? Boom. Now let's get into it. On October 24, 2018, I received a call from a possible migrant smuggling interdiction in Miami, Florida. I responded to the United States Coast Guard Station in Miami Beach, Florida. At that time, I then met up with other agents who were involved in the interdiction. Okay. And at that time, did you see, and this is the AUSA, and at that time, did you see the vessel that was involved in human smuggling interdiction? He goes, yes, I did. And they go, and what? did you do with the vessel, if anything? Upon identification of the correct vessel, I went down there with Special Agent Amru Fuddle. Hey, that's your boy right here, Myron Gaines, by the way. Even though they misspelled my name. They misspelled my name. It's not supposed to be an E at the end, but whatever. <laughs> and we processed the vessel, which includes searches for evidence and photographs of the vessel. We also took the money as well. We uh, seized the money and we put in evidence. All right. Then they go, okay. Were you there when photographs of the vessel were taken? Yes, I was. And have you reviewed the photographs that were taken from the initial processing? Yes, I have. And are there are they a fair and accurate representation of vessel and contents of the vessel as they were when you saw them? Yes, ma'am. She goes, Your Honor, may I have the Elmo by AUSA Hernandez? Now I'm showing you what's been previously admitted into evidence as Government Exhibit 1A. Can you tell us what the photograph Government Exhibit 1A depicts? This is a photo of the vessel that was involved in the interdiction, right? So now I'm showing what's been previously admitted into evidence as government exhibit 1B. Can you tell us what this photo is of, right? So he goes ahead and he describes what's in there, the vet, the, the cabin, right? And then uh, let's see here, where else they asked them. These are all pictures. These are, these are pictures, right? Oh, okay. Now they, this is important. They ask him, do you recall how many life jackets were there? And you're, well, well, Myra, why are they asking how many life jackets were there were? Because that's a sensing, sentencing enhancement, guys, if he didn't have life jackets on the boat enough for all the aliens on the vessel. Okay. So that's a very important question. He goes, I don't recall the exact amount. There were a few of them out there looking from this photo. I would say seven, maybe eight. Right. But that's big because that's not enough. There were 17 of them on there. Now, can you make out? I know it's kind of tough to see exactly, but can you make out what this is indicating 
item on the floor there. No, I cannot. Okay, now I'm going to show you what's been previously admitted to evidence as government exhibit 1D. Now, what's this a photograph of? This is a photograph of the back of the vessel. There are like containers or storage areas, bin areas of the vessel. Okay, and the vessel is the boat, by the way, guys. So they're going ahead and like making sure that, um, showing a picture of the vessel that he's aware of the vessel, right? Now, let's move a little bit forward here, right? And then they're showing pictures of the money um, because this is the money that we got from CBP AMO. Uh, and then they're talking about the denominations of the bills, right? $100 bills, $20 bills, etc. And then they ask him more about the money. And then, and I'm, and I'm skimming through this guy so that like, I don't bore you with the semantics because a lot of the times they're going to go and ask very similar questions multiple times. They make sure that we cut, they cover every, um, facet, right? Okay, so they played they played portions of the interview. Okay. So it goes here. Um okay. So now I move to admit government's exhibit 4B actually which has been previously admitted into evidence as government exhibit 4B and I'll direct the jurors to the to the binders are in front of them they can following they can follow the recorded conversation with the transcripts that they have in front of them. Now the portion that I'm going to play is the portion that is and then basically what they do is they play a portion of the interview that we had with the defendant. Okay. And then uh let's see here. And then yeah, so they ask the agent, hey, do you, can you see who's speaking? He says, Yes, that's my voice. I'll pause there briefly. Yes, ma'am, that was Roll. Now, uh, you guys are probably wondering, well, Roll, what the hell, like what did he sound like? He was Bahamian, guys. So he had a Bahamian accent. Um, black guy, short, bald, I remember. Um, and then they go, the person who just said, can you speak up a tiny bit? Can you identify that voice? That was Special Agent Amber Photos. That's me right there. Because, yo, he was talking low as hell. I told him, hey, bro, you got to speak a little bit louder, my friend. We don't know what the hell you're saying, okay? <laughs> and then they continue playing the, the audio, the interview. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and fast forward here to the cross-examination, okay? So, okay, so here we go. The cross-examination, guys, is again, like I said before, now this is where the defense attorney is going to start grilling my guy, Steve. All right. Good morning, special agent. And then Steve responds. Good morning, sir. I'm going to be kind of uh, I'm going to I'm going to kind of go in order what the prosecutor talked to you with, starting with exhibit 9B, which is the Miranda form. Can you see the date of the Miranda form on your screen? Yes, sir. Is dated October 26, 2018. Is that correct? And then the agent says, yes. The interdiction of my client happened, fair to say, around 1130 on the 24th. Right. Yes, sir. So this statement that he gives you actually happens many, many hours after the interdiction. That's correct. Okay. And he gives you the statement at 1026, but it's not 1026 in the afternoon. It's 1026 in like the very, very early morning hours, right? See what he did there? You guys catch that? See that? Fucking guy. He's trying to make his defendant look like, yo, we woke him up early in the morning to interview him and he wasn't of sound mind, blah, blah, blah. Correct. If I recall, it's the early morning hours, 2 or 3 a.m., I think. And my client, when he makes the statement, is in an interrogation room at HSI, right? No, he's at the United States Border Patrol Station. In Dania Beach? Yes, in Dania Beach, correct. And this is the Border Patrol Station that's kept very, very cold for health and safety reasons. See what he's doing here, guys? He's trying to make it like, yo, my, you guys were interviewing my, my defendant at an early time. It was cold as hell in there, etc. Now you guys are wondering, wait, wait, why is, the Dania, why is the Border Patrol Station very cold? They keep Border Patrol stations very cold, guys, because of um, back to kill bacteria 
And also because a lot of times when you bring the illegal aliens in, they haven't showered in weeks, right? And it's to also prevent the smell. One thing I will never, ever forget from, you know, my years as an agent is the smell of um, migrants. When, when they've been traveling for a very long time, they have this very unique pungent smell that you just can't. It's, it's not the same smell as, of course, of a dead body, but it's a very, um, you, you just, it's, it's unmistakable. You, you, can't miss the, you, you can't miss it. Um, so that's why Border Patrol stations always keep their, um, their stations very cold. So he goes, correct. They keep it very cold. So you have no idea how long my client was sitting in the Danny Beach border, uh, border station before you interrogated him, do you? I don't recall exactly how long. I know that there's a period of time where the people that were involved in the interdiction are kept as a, on a Coast Guard cutter where biometrics conducted. And then there's a time where they're brought ashore, where they're picked up by Border Patrol personnel. So it's from the time the interdiction occurs, it's sometimes, you know, a day or so later. It could be up to 12 hours. I don't recall exactly what time this group of individuals came in. Now, here's the important thing. HSI, we're a different agency. We're not CBP. We're not Border Patrol. So we don't really control how the aliens are moved or stored. We just got to show up wherever they're at and do our investigation. Okay? So that's good on our end. So defense attorney, right, as usual, trying to pick at anything goes, okay. So if I'm understanding this correctly, sometimes individuals are held on these Coast Guard cutters. Are they held in uh, a brig on the cutter? To my knowledge, no, they're not. They're kept on the deck of the cutter. Attorney goes, so outside of the deck of the cutter? Yes. He goes, all right. And so up to 24 hours may have passed while my client is outside on the deck of a cutter. I don't think it was that long, but there was a period of time he was on the deck of the cutter. And then he goes, and then he's brought to a cold police station or a cold custom station in Dania Beach. Correct. He's brought to the station at Dania Beach. And you have no idea for how long he's sitting in the interrogation room, right? I don't know how long he was there. A lot of times when we respond to do interviews, they've already been there for at least an hour or two so the Border Patrol can continue their processing. And the way our processing room works, it's, we'll take them to uh, other migrants to get to figure out, we'll talk to other migrants to get an idea, figure out what their story is, and then we'll interview the, I think he means defendant, what we would call the principal, the boat captain last. Okay, so what he means is that we would interview the witnesses first, then we talk to the, the suspect last because we already have everyone else's story. Correct. Mylar is basically the same material that you would use in a helium balloon, right? Correct. So if it's about the thickness of a helium balloon, I can't testify the thickness of it. They're not very thick. They are emergency blankets. Okay. So in, in um, he, what he's referring to is we give the, 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 the migrants guys when they're in the station, these like space blankets. Anyone that camps knows exactly what I'm talking about. They're like these aluminum foil type looking silver blankets that help them preserve heat. Okay. What we heard in court today was not, there was some parts of this interview that occurred before the recording started, right? I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. There were some parts of this interview which were recorded which have not been played in court. Is that right? And then Steve goes, yes. Yes, sir. There were some parts before what we heard, right? Yes. And there were some parts after what we heard. Yes. And in order to familiarize yourself with testifying today, you've actually recently listened to the entire post-arrest statement. Is that right? Yes. And you listened to it as recently as perhaps yesterday? Yes. Okay. You've had training on how to interrogate suspects, right? Yes, I've had interview training, correct. You had your interview training as part of your initial training. That's correct. And then you have done subsequent following training on how to interview somebody. No, I have not. Are you familiar with the concept of softening a witness in order to get them to answer questions? I've heard of that, but I'm not familiar with that. And he goes, okay, are you familiar with the tactic whereby you might try to minimize the suspect's conduct in order to make it seem that what they did is not so bad in order to get them to talk? Yes, sir. Have you personally employed that tactic? Yes, sir. Have you personally employed that tactic in this case? 
I don't believe so. Okay. Not that I recall. Did you ever make a statement to my client to the effect of, really, I think you may just be a victim of other people that are actually profiting off this type of behavior? I believe so, yes. So see what he's trying to do here, guys? He's trying to um, he's trying to get him like on semantics, okay? Um, and yes, Liberty Bell Rocks goes, it's called the re-technique. Yes, it is, sir. Good job. Oh, we got 900 of you guys in here. Do me a favor. Like the video, please. Um, let me see here where we're at. And we're an hour and a half into this bad boy. Uh, two years until I can reapply for CBP. Do you think it's a good idea to work for a local PD for now? I was a fed when I applied to CBP, still took an L. Yes, um, you know, there's nothing wrong working for, um, there's nothing wrong with working for a uh, local police department, my friend. But yo, uh, yo, apply to US Marshals, dude. They don't polygraph. So um, that, that might be an option for you as well. US Marshal Service. Just understand that they're... Uh, their job isn't as fun as people think it is. It really isn't. They do a lot of courtroom duty, and that just sucks. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. And at some point, did you say it's understandable? I can understand why you might have done something like this because I know the economic conditions in certain parts of the Bahamas are bad. That's correct. And did you say you may have done this because you're desperate? I don't know if I use the exact words, but I feel like I probably said something to that effect. Yes. I'm trying to understand who's in this interview room. I believe that everyone that was in the interview is actually present here in court. Is that fair to say? That's correct. You're, you were asking most of the questions, right? Correct. My client's answering the questions. Correct. And then this gentleman here, Special Agent Fuddle, and he pointed it to me, of course, is also present. Correct. And you guys are probably wondering, well, Myron, what were you doing when all this shit was going on? So while my uh, buddy Steve was on the stand, I was sitting at the table with the prosecutors. You guys know there's two tables, right? You got the defendant sitting at the table with his defense attorney. Then you got the prosecution sitting on one side with their agents. So I was sitting, the, the two prosecutors were at the table and I was sitting next to them and I was, uh, you know, there observing everything going on, right? Because as a lead case agent, you got to make sure that, you know, you're kind of like the, you're the director. You're making sure everything is like, you know, good for the prosecutor. So Steve is on the stand and I'm sitting there. So the defense attorney points at me and says, everyone that interviewed my client is here, right? So this guy right here and he points at me and then he obviously has Steve on the stand, right? So, uh, and he goes, correct. Who actually has responsibility for the case? Who is the case agent? Is it you or is it this special agent indicating who it is? And he goes, it's Agent Fuddle is the case agent and I'm the co-case agent. So I would be assisting him in the matter. So, um, so I was sitting at the table, right? He goes, okay. My client at the very early stages mentions that he is recruited by somebody named Jacob Curry. So Jacob guys was the guy that, was involved in the smuggling event. That's correct. And Jacob Curry is actually a first and then a last name, right? Jacob being the first name and Curry being the second name, right? That's correct. You never asked my client in the course of the interview, where does Jacob Curry live? Did you? His specific address. His specific address, no. Uh, my client told you, I know Jacob Curry because he actually lives in my neighborhood. That's correct. Have you ever been to Abaco? Abaco, guys, is a part of the Bahamas. And he goes, no, I have not. Have you ever dealt with the Royal Bahamian Police? Yes, I have. Do your agency have contacts within the Royal Bahamian Police? Yes, we do. So do you guys see here what he's trying to do? He's trying to divert, okay, responsibility from his client over to this other guy, Jacob Curry, who was, who was the recruiter for this event. I don't feel comfortable commenting on ongoing investigations and what we're doing following up to other investigations. So he gave a good answer here. Steve, is a, this is a W answer. So he goes, did you ever contact the Royal Bahamian Police and ask them, we need to locate somebody named Jerry Curry? And he goes, hey, I'm not going to comment on ongoing investigations. 
You may have, but you're just not going to tell the jury at this point. Have we followed up with Royal Bahamian Police in this investigation? Yes, we have. We do that with all of our investigations, specifically on Jacob Curry. Jacob Curry is an individual who has come up in both human smuggling and narcotics investigations out of the Bahamas. And this is true. We did know who this idiot was, Jacob Curry. My client tells you about somebody named Chucky. That's correct. And then at some point, my client even gives you Chucky's phone number. That's correct. Did you validate that phone number to see if that was a real phone number? We have taken the phone number and are continuing to investigate that phone number and that individual. You just, okay. <laughs> so then the, the Steve goes, if I could, if we call that number to verify if it works, the answer is no. We did not call to verify that it works. We have law enforcement techniques that we use to check phone numbers and subpoena records and things like that. And the investigation to individual is ongoing. Have you subpoenaed any records that you can show to this jury at this moment? Not that I have, no. Have you subpoenaed any records with respect to Jacob Curry that you can show this tri jury right now? That I've subpoenaed that can show right now? No. And the thing is, guys, is that, um, yeah, we definitely followed up on these two idiots and we know who they are. I figured out who Chucky was and I figured out who the other guy was. Um, and then he goes, question, has he? And then, not that I know of. Oh, he, he says, has he? As in pointing at me asking, have I followed up? And then Steve said, not that I know of, right? Because I'm the main case agent. Then he goes, my client told you, Call Chucky. Don't call him from a former uh, from a U.S. number because he won't answer. Is that right? That's correct. My client told when the handoff of the money occurred, it occurred in person, right? That's correct. My client told you Chucky physically handed me the money, right? That's correct. And Chucky, just so we can remind everyone, is the person we, who provided the boat to my client, allegedly, right? That's correct. So my client says the handoff occurred by Chucky giving me the money. It was not only at the marina. It was next to the boat, right? That's correct. And you personally have been made aware that my client left from Blue Water Marina in Bimini, right? I believe so. And you know exactly where that marina is, do you not? I'm familiar with that area in Bimini. I have never been there, but I'm familiar with that area. So real quick, I'll go ahead and get, uh, show you guys where this marina is. It's called uh, Blue Water Marina. Okay, this is where he left from. This is common smuggling. Blue Water Marina. Uh, This is it right here. Bimini Blue Water Marina. As y'all can see, not a bad place. Some pretty good professional pictures. But as you guys can see, it's not that far from Miami. Okay. Miami's right there. This is only about 50 miles. Uh, and a lot of smuggling happens from there. Uh, okay, so my client has told you where the handoff occurred and you know where the marina is. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. All right, can you show the jury the surveillance images from that marina? There's no surveillance images that I have at this time. What steps did you take to obtain surveillance uh, from that marina? So can you guys, see, you guys see what's going on here? The defense attorney, what he's trying to do is he's trying to, like, he's trying to divert the conversation from his client saying, like, yo, listen, I know you caught my client, but you know this Chucky guy, you know Jacob Curry. Why didn't y'all go after them like you went after my client? Blah, 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 blah. What he doesn't know is that I had already known who these idiots were. I knew who Chucky was, and I knew who Jacob Curry was already. However, we're not going to disclose what the fuck we were doing with identifying those guys in a trial for someone else, okay? This guy, Stanley, was just a mole, or not a mole, a mule, essentially, that got paid to move the aliens to the United States. And he was supposed to take that money, that 23K, and give it to someone in the United States with the aliens, and he was supposed to get a portion of it and go back to the Bahamas. But he got caught, all right? 
But Chucky and Jacob Curry were the real masterminds. And I had known who these idiots were because they were being investigated in other investigations. I knew who Chucky was specifically and Jacob. So, um, uh, and I'm not going to go further than that. But, uh, but uh, uh, you know, detail-wise. I mean, this is all public information, so I'm reading it off here. But um, there's some things that I know that I'm not going to disclose at this moment because I don't know if they're in jail yet, okay? Um, so, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Do we have anything else here? Okay. And we got 900 y'all in here. Like the video, please. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and start fast-forwarding through this a little bit. Seeing what, what he says here. But this is what this is what um, defense attorneys do, guys. They typically try to divert responsibility from their client and try to make the the agent look dumb if they can. And they always fail because their client got caught, you know, red-handed. And then there's something called a redirect, right, which allows the prosecution to come in and kind of save the day, right? So, um, so you ask you inter you indicated that you interviewed the defendant last. Is that correct? And this is from the AUSA. So now after he gets cross-examined, he's able to do a redirect examination. So the prosecutor kind of comes in and fills in holes that the defense attorney tried to punch in the testimony, which he did a very bad job, by the way. He kept trying to redirect and say, "Oh well, why did you go after Jacob Curry or Chucky or whatever?" Blah blah blah. Right. So, and what he doesn't know is that we already were. Okay. Um, so, and then she, she redirects and everything else like that. So anyway, this was a two day trial guys, just so y'all know. And what ended up happening is this is the verdict form. Okay. He ended up going guilty for everything. <laughs> right. Safe to say is the Fed attorney didn't do too good of a job. Right. That's definitely a big. All right. He got. Indicted, he pretty much got found guilty of every single count except for count 34, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, as in account 34 of the indictment, we find the defendant not guilty. So he got found guilty of everything else. And uh, thir um, count 34, guys, all right, is this right here. This is what they didn't find him guilty on. Count 34, where is it? This right here. Um, conspiracy to allow, procure, and permit certain aliens to enter the United States. Honor about October 24th upon the high scenes and out of the jurisdiction of any particular state or district and elsewhere within Miami-Dade County and Southern District of Florida. Stanley Roll did knowingly and willfully connive, conspire, confederate, and agree with other persons known and unknown to the grand jury to allow, procure, and permit aliens Ray De Los Santos and Carlos Moreno Archibald, whom he knew to be inadmissible to enter the United States, said aliens being inadmissible under Title 8 United States Code uh, 1182. Um, and who had been convicted of an aggravated felony in a violation of 8 U.S.C. 1327, okay? So he brought in two convicted felons. So he didn't get found guilty of this. Conspiracy to allow, procure, and permit certain aliens to enter the United States. Hey, I'll tell you guys this. 33 out of 34 isn't too bad, baby. You know what I'm saying? That's a big... All right. So he got convicted on January 16th of 2019. They didn't deliberate for too long. Uh, and then also, what was I going to show y'all? Um, the indictment here, uh, this was, yeah, this was the charges, the penalty sheet, superseding information. Yep. Okay, cool. We're good. So this is what he got hit on the verdict form. And then he ended up getting the judgment guys. Here's, here's, uh, the judgment, right? And this was, uh, on March 26, 2019, the judgment that he got from, uh, Paul C. Huck, he ended up getting 60 months as it counts one counts one through 33 to be served concurrently. So he got lucky. He didn't have to do it consecutively. He got it concurrently. So they all roll at the same time. So 60 months is five years. 
Okay. Um, and he was found not guilty of only one. And right now, just for fun, just let's see where he's at now. So I'll show you guys how to do this, right? You go ahead and you go, let's go Google real fast. What the hell? All right, let me just go ahead and move this over here. All right. So this is how you find a prisoner in the federal system, right? Google, boom. Then you go USBOP, right? Find an inmate. You're going to go Stanley, Cole, Black. Okay. Age, I don't remember. Sex, male. Should be able to get it with just that. There he, there he is. He's at McRae. And that's in McRae, Helena, Georgia. That's where he's at right now. Um, it's a, co a contracted correction institution operated by a private corporation. And uh, damn, he's 16 ounce. Like old as hell. Uh, and he's going to be released uh, January 27, 2023. And when he's released, guys, they're going to deport him back to the Bahamas. Okay. So that's what happened there. He got, um, he's doing some time. Right, a good amount of time for human smuggling. So, yeah, that was my uh, that was my trial, guys, right there. So uh, let's see here. Let's see. I'll go ahead hit the chats here. I'll open it up for any questions if you guys have any. If not, then we'll go ahead and close this bad boy out. But I hope you guys learned. Did you guys learn there? Give me ones in the chat if you guys learned. Um, um, you know, as far as like how federal cases go, human smuggling trials, court procedures. What um what HSI does, what being a special agent is like. Give me ones in the chat if y'all learned anything. Give me twos if you didn't learn shit. If you didn't learn anything, then that, I, I gotta I gotta step up my game. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And just so you guys know, I'm thinking about um going ahead and doing uh, a whole series for you guys on how to become a federal agent. Um, what you need to have in place, uh, what it's what what you need to do to get hired. Um, what it takes to have in your background, that type of thing. I'm thinking about doing a whole series on, you know, so you want to become a special agent, this is what you need. And I go ahead and I break it down for y'all from the beginning all the way through. Um, and I can go over the different agencies and what it takes to work for each agency. I'll probably start with um, with the, the main agencies, right, that everyone knows. You know, obviously FBI, DEA, Homeland Security Investigations. Those are the three biggest agencies, by the way. Actually, the number one big agency is FBI. Number two is HSI, and then after that, I think the next biggest 1811 agency is probably um, DEA. But the two biggest by far are Homeland Security and FBI. So, um, so yeah, I could definitely uh, potentially do that series for you guys. And then also, let me take a vote since I got you guys here in the in the chat. Um, I want so I'm thinking about giving you guys either a breakdown on the mafia, right, one of the crime families, or the biggest bank robbery in U.S. history. Give me a one in the chat if you guys want me to do the Mafia documentary or if you guys want me to do the bank robbery uh, documentary. One for Mafia, two for the biggest bank robbery in history. And I'll, and I'll drop that for y'all this Thursday. So give me a one if you guys want the one of the crime families out of New York or the bank robbery. Let's see here. Okay. Mm, looks like it's split. Half of you guys want the Mafia, half of you guys want... Um, the bank robbery. Number one is mafia. Number two is the biggest bank robbery in U.S. history. Let's see. I'm still looking at the chat. I want to give the people what they want. Oh wow, it's it's literally, it's like half and half.
Let's see here. I'm still looking, guys. Okay. I might have to do a coin flip then. I might have to do a coin flip. Because it's literally, it's literally, uh, you know what? Let me see. You know what? Yeah, you're right. Let me do a poll in the chat right now. I'm going to do a poll in the chat. And guys, while I do this poll, please do me a favor. Like the video. Like the video for sure. Give me one second. Let me uh, do a... I got to go in the chat to actually... I got to go on the YouTube app to do it, which is annoying. Or actually, no. Hold on. I'm just going to open up a tab. Give me one second, guys. Bear with me here. Good idea, whoever told me to do a poll. Okay. So, fed it. Let me go here. Okay, so we're live. Bam. Okay, so I'm going to do a poll right now. Okay. Do you guys want Mafia Breakdown or Vegas? Mafia. Thank you. Good idea for the for the poll. Or and I'm gonna drop it on Thursday, by the way, guys. All right, I give that a minute to run. I just dropped it in there. I don't know why the hell is taking so long. Okay. Yep, it's up now, guys. Go ahead and vote. And then whatever you guys decide, I'll go ahead and I'll go with that. Someone said, how many arrests have you made? Hundreds, guys. Literally hundreds. That's why I'm able to speak um, um, so confidently about a lot of these um, different types of cases and different different types of investigations because I've, I've worked with pretty much almost... Every agency, and I'm pretty, I'm very well aware of what every agency does, because I work with so many different, uh, different ones, and I've done so many different crimes. So, um, that's how I'm able to like break down these cases, even though it, um, it's for different agencies, because I've, I've worked with them, and I know like what their strengths are, their weaknesses are, etc. Let's see here. Okay, it looks like bank robbery right now is winning, guys. Uh, Mafia is at 35. Bank robbery is 65%. Okay. I thought you guys were going to want the mafia one, but that's cool. I'll do cartel as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it looks like it's uh, the bank robbery for sure. And I think it was uh, it was a bank robbery out of, out of Vegas, guys, in the 90s. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, and guys, refresh the chat if you can't see the poll, by the way. You got to refresh the chat. And shout out to all you guys for helping us hit 901,000 subscribers on YouTube, man. That, that means a lot. And I just hit 83K on, um, on FedA as well. So you guys are the real ones. Really love y'all. Appreciate all the love. Um, obviously, this channel is, isn't as big as, uh, you know, Fresh and Fit. But this is for all the people out there that really enjoy these types of, you know, crime breakdown, seeing how law enforcement works, etc. So, um, you know, I, and I really enjoy these, th these videos that I do. Like, just going through that whole case just now brought back, like, a lot of really fond memories. Um. All right, so it looks like the bank robbery is going to be what we go with, guys. Mafia is at thirty-eight percent. The bank robbery is at uh sixty percent. I give it like another minute, and then we'll uh, and then we'll can this thing. And guys, do me a quick favor. Go ahead and like this video because I'm not going to lie to y'all. Preparing for Fed it 
sometimes takes more time than fresh and fit. <laughs> I spent quite a bit of time on this channel. Um, and I don't mind it because like I said before, I truly, truly enjoy this stuff. And, you know, it brings back a lot of good memories. Um, I got 852 likes. Okay, cool. And there's 856 of y'all watching. Thank you so much. I give you guys a Don DeMarco for that. Don DeMarco. For damn near 100% engagement. All right. So it looks like bank robbery wins, guys. It's at 61% versus Mafia is at only 39%. So cool. All right. But yo, guys, with that said, I'm going to keep the, I'll keep the poll up. So I think you guys can still, even after I end the video, you guys can keep voting. So I'll keep it up. But uh, with that said, guys, I love y'all. Uh, tomorrow we got a three-peat. We got um, Trillstein coming on the podcast, a.k.a. Brandon Carter's right-hand man. He's going to come with two of his girlfriends. Then we got uh, Patrick Bed David and Valuetainment coming in with Adam uh, from Valuetainment Money. And then we got a nighttime show with the girls. So we got a three-peat for y'all tomorrow. It's going to be fucking crazy. It's going to be lit. Three shows back-to-back, -back, fresh and fit. Starts at 6 p.m. And then all the way into after hours. Uh, you know, we love y'all. Work really hard for you guys. And yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was my first jury um, case. My, my Sorry, my first trial. Um, and it's not often that Fed cases go to trial, guys. So that was a really good experience. I learned a lot. So, yeah, man. Appreciate it. Uh, I'll let you guys keep voting in the poll. And I'm going to go ahead and film this uh, Mafia episode here probably in, within the next hour or two. Um, so that I'll have it ready for y'all on Thursday. But uh, thank you guys so much. I'll see you guys tomorrow at 6 p.m. Love you guys. Big, big peace. And I'll see you guys tomorrow. Later. I was a special agent with Homeland Security Investigations, okay, guys? HSI. The cases that I did mostly were human smuggling and drug trafficking. No one else has these documents, by the way. Here's what FedEx covers. Dr. Lafredo confirmed lacerations due to stepping on glass. Murder investigation. I'm reaching in his jacket. You don't know. And he's positioning. Been on February 13, 2019. You're facing two counts of premeditated murder. Racketeering and Rico conspiracy. Young, young slime life here and after referred to as YSL. The defendants uh, six nine, and then this is Billy Seiko right here. Now, when they first started, guys, six nine ran. Well, I'm a fed. I'm watching this music video. You know, I'm bobbing my head like, hey, this shit lit. But at the same time, I'm pausing. Oh wait, who this? Right? Oh, who's that in the back? Firearms and violent crimes, aka Pushaisi violated. Your order to stay away from the victim. After Pushaisi arrested after shooting at King of Diamonds, Miami Strip Club, injured one this person. Is the, this is the one that that's gonna fuck him up because this gun is not traceable. Well, it happened at the gun range. Here's your boy, 42 Doug, right here on the left. Okay. Sex trafficking and sex crimes. They can effectively link him to paying an underage girl. I'm gonna lock my fifth window right, right. And well, the first bomb went off right here. Suspect who sent down a backpack at the site of the second explosion. Inspired by Al-Qaeda. Two terrorists, brothers, the Zokar Sarnev and Tamerlan Sarnev. When the cartel shipped drugs into the country.